The following podcast is brought to you by cdkoffers.com. Use offer code DIESHRING for 3% off everything on the website and Broken Silicon for 25% off all Windows codes. All right, on with the show. Welcome to Broken Silicon, a gaming hardware podcast. I am your host, House Hunting Tom, and I am joined by my co-host, um, Apartment Lease Renewal Dan. Ah, that's right. You did have one that kind of applies in the same vein. Um, yeah, so you're not getting a house. You're, you're just, uh, can I be honest, Dan, from my perspective, you're just far too busy to worry about a house anytime soon. Yeah, that's probably uh, <laughs> that's probably true. I would consider moving into a house with people, like if they wanted to, like to rent uh, next year or something. But no, in terms of actually no. buying one and worrying about maintaining it and looking for one and all the paperwork, it's like nah, you're yeah. just too much of a research boy. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Maybe we'll see if things ever lighten up a little bit. Uh, it's a PhD, so probably not that much for the next for four and a half years but the first year is uh a rough when it comes to scheduling so hopefully things get a little better soon well i do want to thank you for coming on again this people will note that this is is this is this the first time we've done two news episodes in a row which we were never afraid to do we just never it never made sense to I mean, those early what probably i don't even know how many episodes it would have been it might have been less than 10 where we didn't have, decide on like a regular schedule yet, we probably we might have done two news episodes in a row once or twice. But like, since I don't, we set I the, don't think so. I think I would do one of those solo ones. I remember oh, I did a couple of those. Yeah, so maybe it is, or, or it it's the first one where since we've decided that uh, having a regular schedule is a good idea, at least. Yeah the the guest. Or special episode, and then in between that news episodes, which, I mean, it's not to say I'm not busy. That's part of the reason we are doing this. It's not, it has nothing to do with getting guests. Actually, there were two more guests that said yes today, Dan, by the way. Nice. Another one of them is a pretty big name, which I haven't even had time to talk to you about yet. I think, I think, I'm, I think I'm about as busy as you. I just have far more flexibility in my schedule in this stage yeah. of my life. Just like much more... My my schedule is like a game of Tetris, you know? It's almost filling up, but I can move those pieces around, Dan. The good thing is I am mostly uh, flexible. It's just, like I said this to you, it's like there's a constant, there's like just constant uh, tasks falling and I'm trying to catch all of them and get all of them done. But I'm always, <laughs> but pretty much when you're in PhD, the name in the game is being a little bit behind schedule constantly so i can move things around re relatively easily to accommodate like recording one hour just because no one expects any deadlines to get met ever now do i still sound okay dan uh you sound a little shaky right there what about now you're fine okay 
Uh, I have to ask, and let me know if anything's changed, because let me just check one more thing here. Oh, no, it still looks fine on the back there in gain. Yeah, because Dan saw on the camera, I almost just dropped all my recording equipment off of this counter I'm using to record. <laughs> yeah, had to, <laughs> had to kill that uh, near dead air there for a second, but... <laughs> you did a good job, Dan. We're getting really good at this, you know? And so, yeah, I am recording, I said I'm house hunting Tom. I'm recording in an Airbnb in Nashville right now. I looked at a few houses today. Um, I, I think I sound probably just as good as any other podcast. It actually seems to have pretty good acoustics in this room. Um, so it's it's all good, but it is not the normal setup. So I did almost just knock over everything and screw up <laughs> our recording. But it's good I didn't. Let, it does look like you've got a relatively cozy room, though, so hopefully the echo isn't too bad or anything. Uh, it's cozy as heck, brah. All right, let's get to a reader mail here. Faceplants writes in and says, a hashtag include this tone in an, in, in an indication of satire. Hmm, let me think about that. Okay, so Faceplant says, moving houses isn't just a stressful activity that consumes time, money, and energy. It's also a very serious affliction that lasts for mo- many months. Tom won't be moving so much as he will have moving and inflicted on him for many weeks. Murphy's Law of Packing Probability states that there will be at least one box you pack, which contains all the things you'll need and can't find for the first few weeks at the new house. This will be the last box to appear if it is ever found at all. Thoughts and prayers for a speedy recovery. End sarcastic tone. Hope I did a, a <laughs> decent job there. Um, but yeah, so again, like... Um, Bear with us for the next month or two. I, I, I am moving to Nashville and we'll be building a studio. There will probably be a couple episodes where like the studio is not done too. We'll just be in my a new living room. Um, and it could certainly be in a couple of apartments randomly as well. But I have to say, Dan, I think I've already found a couple of houses that are ideal and a couple that were, were pretty interesting, actually. <laughs> oh, yeah. Actually, I guess- let- I guess just thinking like you're probably going to be, yeah, I guess I don't know how long the moving process for you is going to last. Like your house sold pretty damn fast when you put it on the market. So that's good. But that also kind of puts a clock on you for when you need to move to Nashville, whether that means you're in an Airbnb for a couple of weeks or whatever. Yeah. Well, and the house in Peoria has already sold everybody. So I'm looking to move quickly and decisively here. But Dan, please, please look at the pictures I just sent you. Did you send them to me over Facebook? Or Yes, you did. Yeah. Now, this is the basement to the first house we looked at, which the upstairs and main floor were beautiful, gorgeous. I loved everything about it. But would you say the basement maybe isn't up to the same quality as a modern renovated house? Um, yeah, it kind of looks like the set of a horror movie. <laughs> so for those listening, there's just windows open. There's not even glass in that window picture, Dan. Oh, cool. That's just open. There's multiple open holes in the basement to the outside. And if you look at the staircase, it looks like the realtor... I don't think that uh, staircase is up to code. <laughs> no, Casey said, Tom, is it safe for me to follow you down the stairs? And I would say, it is definitely dangerous for you to come down here. <laughs> <laughs> and she said, I'm just going to stay up here then. And uh, 
And she's great. Shout out to Casey. And then there's just like piles of rusted metal in the basement. I don't understand why they did this. It's in the, one of the best parts of Nashville, too. Uh, I don't like it's beautiful upstairs. And I'm telling you, like granite countertops and stuff. And then downstairs, it's like this seems like a somewhat good deal. Ooh, that's why they just decided to have an open hole as under the house. Like you can just walk under the house. There's open holes to the outdoors and you can see pipes. Jesus, I, I, She's I like. like I'm not sure this will keep up to code. I like. I like to imagine in the description it said something like uh, the the basement is a fixer upper or something. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I was like, I mean, if I got this, I just have to spend a ton of money finishing it. There's no way this. Le- I mean, I don't yeah. even think this is going to pass inspection. Like I told her, I don't think it would. Yeah, like e- e- even if you didn't. Um, renovate it you just made it like a storage area which is i would imagine what you would do with that like that's i i feel like getting that up to just being okay for a house to have in it, it you would need to spend like five grand or something at least oh on it. no it'd, it'd probably, probably be like 10 20 oh jesus okay especially, so i'm not getting or more especially with how well yeah especially with how in demand labor is right now yeah that's true so <laughs> Yeah, unless they would be willing to pay to <laughs> renovate that, I, I or just drop like a, a ton no-go. off the price, but I don't think so because it's in a part of town that's just moving quickly. So it's like we we're both like, why would they leave that? We've I don't seen know. several crazy. things like that in some houses that are just like gorgeous, like it, parts of the house look like a five star hotel, and then you'll just look over in one part and it just looks like a lean to, and you're like, what? <laughs> like it's definitely a seller's I mean, market, people. I mean, that's what that tells me. <sighs> Uh, it, yeah, it definitely is. Like that's, I uh, that can only happen in a seller's market. <laughs> well, and you also like this. So there was this one she suggested that wasn't on my list, where it was in a good centrally located area. It's apparently was an Airbnb. So it interestingly has like a bazillion bedrooms and bathrooms. The kitchen mm-hmm. is huge and meant for entertaining. It was actually kind of nice. Came with all of the uh, furniture. And then when we were outside in the backyard, she's like, does that look like a raccoon hole under the house? And I'm like, kind of. And then when we went upstairs, she's like, well, that's a creepy closet. And it just had an open entrance into like an attic-like area in the second floor. And I was like, I noted some like uh, of the insulation inside of that area seemed to have a hole in it. And then I turned around and the, in <laughs> the carpeted closet, there was raccoon poop. Jesus. And I'm like, so the raccoons are just walking around the inside of this house sometimes, apparently. Don't, you don't want raccoons freely wandering your house. I mean, it's just, it's fat. There's, I could talk about that one house too, and how amazing parts of it were and how bizarre other parts were. It was definitely, she said, this is definitely an Airbnb for like uh, bridesmaids parties. Oh, so it's, pro- so there's like a, a facade of, really high, high quality. Yeah, but then if you like l- dig into it a little bit, you're like, why is there a raccoon access port in the house? <laughs> yes, and why is this nothing been maintained in this area? And why is there just bags of trash next to it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not great, but you said you found a few good options, so that's I good. did, and there will be more updates coming to you all soon. Okay, so let us get into the rest of the opening reader mails. You know, so this will be another news episode after the other one. The reason we're doing this is we have a very big guest coming up, but he they couldn't schedule until the following week. And so it was like, well, if we 
if I I could have had brought in up another guest, but then it's kind of like I'm burning the guests that I like to space out regularly. And at the same time, then it would have been a month of no news episodes and we would have had to carry cover way too much. As it stands, we will be doing a news episode that covers technically, I think, three weeks. So yeah, it, it'd be it best if crazy. we just did another one. Um, yeah. And also, I'm exhausted. I got three hours of sleep, drove to Nashville and looked at houses for eight hours. So, you know, if it's a little bit of a shorter news episode, that would be ideal. Yeah, and I, I think... I mean, this news episode was designed around it being a bit shorter. So, but I'm pretty sure it'll just it'll, it'll be a it'll be a decent piece. It'll be a solid app. Yeah, yeah. It won't be like the two two and a half hours you get. Yeah, it won't be the normal two and a half hours, most likely. All right. On to the reader mails. Mayo writes in and says, Tom, I watched your 6800 XT and 3070 reviews, and I have to say, I was very disappointed to not see one benchmark that truly matters. Dwarf Fortress. When the game is complete in 20 to 30 years, every other game will simply be a mode in Dwarf Fortress with the characters replaced with a bunch of dumbass dwarves. Frankly, I don't really see any point in benchmarking anything else. And Carbon Cry then writes in and says, Tom, I watched your 6800 XT and 3070 reviews, and I have to say that I was very disappointed and not see the one benchmark that truly matters. Cladicism, dark days ahead. When the game is complete in 20 to 30 years, every other game will simply be a mode in Cataclysm, dark days ahead with the characters replaced with a bunch of dumbass cyborg psychic plantoids. Frankly, I don't see any point in benchmarking anything else. So I'm not sure what happened here. Sometimes we get reader mails in the reader mail channel where it feels like there was some kind of planned mutiny to mess with us while we're recording. But I did bring these joke uh, questions up in the beginning just to mention, again, like, when you look at the games I'm benchmarking, it's like, well, why did you benchmark this and not that? It's like, well, honestly, I just benchmarked the games I'm playing now. And some of them are qualitative and some of them are quantitative to make sure we establish a baseline. And again, you have to do some average frame rate benchmarking, I think, just to make sure the card's working. Because every now and then I test something and be like, well, that seems off. What's going on here? Yeah. And I don't know. Benchmarks, <laughs> it seems hard to decide the the suite of games to benchmark for a person like you who like doesn't do it professionally it perfect it makes perfect sense why you would do that and i don't know it, it's kind of like uh for you like a your reviews are almost like a test drive of a card which is an interesting way to do it <laughs> like this is this is my experience using it so this is why i would recommend buying it if you're looking for something like this card like the 6800 or the 3070, right? That's what you review. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I might be doing another one soon too, or at least in about a month or two. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't want to do too many. It's clear that the community doesn't want a ton of them, but you guys really do appreciate me doing one every now and then. Um, and, and I, and I think it's important even just for me as well, because I mean, think about it. Uh, like if I don't try Ampere once and I talk about it for two years, that almost feels stupid. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's good. Like, even if you don't get to use the full range of uh, Ampere, like from the 3060 to the 3090, having some use of it is obviously beneficial because I, I think it make, gives you more authority to talk about DLSS and um, and like RTX than you would if you didn't use it. Yeah, and uh, I guess, I, to be honest, I don't know why more people don't do it this way. 
Um, I think if you if you think about who does the best benchmarking, it's like, well, I'm just going to probably go to Gamers Nexus and Hardware Unboxed because of how easily I can replicate their results most of the time. And they do so many games and so many cards. I don't know why most test houses bother to compete with them. And and then they'll like spend a week just never never endingly going between rigs benchmarking after benchmark after benchmark after benchmark. You'd almost think it'd be better if a lot of the smaller tech tubers did like, you know, 15 to 30 minute reviews where they actually show the games they're playing and they're like, this is what it was like going from my 2060 to a 3060. You know, like, and you know, in so, this game, it didn't really matter. And overall, I've got to say, I didn't notice it that much or I did notice it that much. I feel like getting like a handful of reviews like that next to the big quantitative benchmarks from hardware and boxed and such makes a lot more sense because if you like trust a YouTuber, like don't you more want their opinion than them to try and obviously fail to compete with gamers nexus or something well yeah it's like when doing a like when doing any type of um i don't know analysis i guess we'll say like they they are doing their thing where they give you they make a ton of data and it's for you to comb through and look through all of that but they're not making that much qualitative assessment there's some obviously that they're including with their conclusions but i think if you're not able to do that high throughput, like testing a ton of cards and a ton of games, it's not worth really doing it if you're just testing half the cards, half the half the games. I think just doing a, a qualitative, more qualitative review makes a lot more sense. Yeah, more qualitative focus, shall we say. Yeah. All right, let's get to the corrections and omissions then. Uh, his Larian Bitrot writes in and says, in Broken Silicon 92, I think when you were talking about the beer riots at a game, you're thinking of the 1974 Rangers Indians with 10 cent beer night, massive riots, and the fans literally stole the bases when the Cleveland fans were not brawling. <laughs> the Cleveland players defending the Rangers. Oh my God. <laughs> I just love that. They're uh, uh, they like let us at them and they're like no we're just playing against them don't hurt them <laughs> hey man that's why you don't get sports fans drunk it's like that's a that's a thing in like england just football hooligans oh, yeah. they they encourage it that's just a fun thing they just all fight each other at least hey the u.s is perfectly capable of doing the same thing with our sports uh, if we're given enough alcohol <laughs> Well, and again, I, I said this in the Discord when people brought that up first after, in the comments of that episode, which, of course, you guys get access to the Discord if you support us at Patreon. And I was like, Tencent might as well be free. Like, even back in the 70s, and I'm pretty sure there was a more recent one where it was like a dollar or two, by the way. I'm pretty sure there was another one recently where it got pretty bad. Probably not as bad as that. That's insane. <laughs> but, you know, where you have the baseball teams banding together to defend against everyone <laughs> I mean, the only other sports event that I can think of is was there was a basketball game where the <laughs> basketball players went into the bleachers and started punching fans. <laughs> I guess this stuff happens. Yes, it Q happens. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. It's hilarious. Uh, QH Freddy writes in and says, in Broken Silicon 92, talking about a, a hardware unbox video, I think you are overstating the impact of the NVIDIA driver overhead. Okay, so yeah, this is the video hardware unboxed 
found DirectX 12 driver overhead that can severely limit performance of high-end NVIDIA graphics cards in a few, well, in, in a decent amount of games in certain scenarios. Um, H, in Horizon Zero Dawn at 1080p, ultimate quality with a 3600X, the 3090 only trails Navi 22 cards by single-digit percents when it's using Zen 1 and Zen Plus CPUs, often underclocked, and it really... Let me see. That really becomes a problem above 1080p. I personally appeared to run into this issue when testing a 5600 XT versus a 2080 Super in Warzone the other week, where the particular minimum frame rates were basically the same between a 2080 Super and a 5600 XT. This was 1080p at low settings at 100% and 125% resolution scale with a 3600. This one is definitely significant, I guess, if you are playing the game competitively. For me, this is definitely pushing me towards finding a 6700 XT. However, in campaign, where I was playing the game at 133% resolution and 1440p with mostly ultra settings, a few short tests I did showed the 2080 Super coming out well ahead as it generally does in other games. In short, my opinion is that in 1440p with high to ultra settings, even a 3090 with a 3600 is not more limiting for NVIDIA than it is for AMD. Only at 1080p or Zen and Zen Plus CPUs is it a problem. I mean, it's a fair point, but you, I would say like, I just define what you mean by overstating because you found a serious example. So yeah. I think when these cards are, the way I would put it is, yeah, when these cards are performing so close to each other, I don't think I am overstating it. It's not like we're talking about before where the 2080 Ti was like whatever, right? 30% or, or more better than a 5700 XT. We're talking about cards that are razor finish is in a lot of games and all, all of them are trading blows. And I guess NVIDIA is better in ray tracing in some games, but like that's the only advantage you can really say anymore besides DLSS and a handful of titles that you better be playing if you're bringing that up. Like I, I think this is a thing that kind of nullifies some of those advantages NVIDIA has. Nullifies probably isn't the right word, but I'd say this is something that you just need to consider openly now. Like you really need to check what settings and games you play. And let us not forget the 3090 is a, fucking $1,500 graphics card. And if it ever and, comes close to these other cards, it's insane. It's insane, guys. Come on. Yeah, and it's like I'm looking at it, and I'm looking at the benchmarks again right now. I don't think that's overstating to say that if you have certain CPUs, even if they're relatively older or lower-end CPUs, like mid-range CPUs from a year ago, the fact that the 3090 gets worse performance than a 6800 in some games is worth mentioning because you're CPU bound when you're with a 3090. I think that's worth mentioning at least. And I don't know, I guess you can say you're overstating it, but you in your own testing found an example of it. And yeah, the issue is mostly in 1080p, but the issues do continue to persist into 1440p a little bit. Yeah, I, I just think it's, I mean, overstated. I said, uh, my recollection is I tweeted with a couple people like Nerd Tech on, yeah, on Twitter, and it was like, I'm just saying this is a very serious issue that people can't just go, oh, certain scenarios and move on. This is something anyone looking to buy these cards should be looking into. Anyone. Because this is a very, th this should make you take pause, I think, when you're spending, when, when graphics cards prices are this much out of control and AMD's this competitive with NVIDIA again, it's like, this is, I don't know, I think it's just as major a factor as DLSS. And I think I did even say, or, and if I didn't, I'll just say it right now. I, it is worth mentioning that these rigs, it, I think if you're people building some of these rigs, like question your 
you're thinking if you have like a 1600X and you're getting a 3090, maybe consider also upgrading your CPU if you haven't for three years and you're running a mid-range CPU from back then. I, I mean, I think that's a fair point, but my counter would be, I'm not talking about the extremes here. My yeah. concern is more in the middle that people need to think about, right? Like, so if in his example, he's talking about a 3600, uh, okay, or a 3600X, how much better at gaming is a 2700X than a 3600X? Really? 10%? 15 All right, so maybe it's not an extreme, like Hardware and Box, I think, found some games with 20 to 30% differences due to this. So maybe it's 10, 15% difference. But a lot of enthusiasts bought 2700Xs, a lot. Uh, that was an enthusiast CPU that was being compared to the 9900K, even if it cost half as much. And with that in mind, you can't tell me some people with a 2700X isn't considering maybe not a 3090, but a 3080. So yeah, the yeah. extremes of like a 30% difference with a 3600 and a 3090, I don't think that's going to happen. But I do think there's scenarios where someone with a 2700X wants to get a 3080, especially if they somehow found a way to get one near MSRP. And then when they try to get it, they find it's 10% weaker. So what does that mean? So it's just flat out losing to the 6800 XT in a lot of games. That's a problem. That's a real problem. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I don't really know what else you can say. Like, yeah, the the uh, if you don't have the right CPU in some games, uh, a lot of cards will, a lot of AMD cards right now will outperform a NVIDIA card that's $700 more expensive. I don't, yeah, I think, I think that's notable. All right. Story number one. Final thoughts on RX 6700 XT reviews. Do we have anything else to talk about? Now, I'm not even going to put this in the title of the video. I think, I frankly think if you look at the data on YouTube, people are sick of talking about the 6700 XT. I actually think they were tired of talking about it before it even came out because we basically knew what it was a week before it did. Um, but, you know, I mean, technically the actual review falls into this news episode cycle and we didn't get to discuss it openly in a podcast since it literally came out although i think our coverage of it was entirely correct pretty much but i don't know do, do you have anything else to say here you know links are in the description for everyone listening about the reviews we looked at anything i mean final impressions of the 6700 xt and its launch you you did try to get one and didn't right yeah um i i, I wasn't expecting to but you know might as well yeah. try um no not too much i think i generally stand by what i said in the our I don't know how many times we've talked about it. In the time we talked about the reviews before the reviews technically came out. I mean, I'm not going to go, we're not going to go and like look at the frame rates for every single review and talk about the oh, frame no. rates because it's not, it's, that would be a boring conversation. Um, <laughs> but I don't know. I guess it's a little closer to the 3060 Ti than what I was going off of. So I guess expecting. Just, yeah. So I just add that caveat in. It's a little closer to the 3060 Ti. So maybe I think a fair MSRP for it would be like, given the current climate, like four hundred fifty dollars or something like that. But we're talking yeah, the about closer it is to four hundred, the fair it is. Yeah, right. And, and and I think there's no doubt that AMD was definitely in a normal world would have probably made this three ninety nine. I think they would have for sure. And from what I'm seeing, I, I personally would. I think it is a three hundred ninety nine dollar card, but that's just not what the market dictates right now. It's an $800 no. card in the current market, so. 
And you know, if it had eight gigabytes of RAM, I bet they would have still done the MSRP at 400, although MSRP means absolutely nothing right now, but I bet they would have done that. It's just when they see 12 gigabytes, they're like, you know what, let's push it the extra 5% and then just kind of justify it as a 3070 because at the end of the day, these are going to sell for higher prices. So we might as well take more of a cut for ourselves. Because again, that's the thing to remember when NVIDIA prices their cards at 399, well, I guess they are doing some AIB uh, <laughs> cashback things that I covered in the Ultimate Play article. But for the most part, they're making less money from their own cards sold at MSRP. And they don't make a lot of reference cards, but AMD does. And so they don't see any of that money when AIBs mark things up 50%. From their perspective, they might as well just make more reference cards that relative to what NVIDIA would do and try to keep more of a cut for themselves. I don't know. It, it, do with that what you will. I, my summary of the performance is it's, it is weaker than the 3070 in raw performance when VRAM isn't an issue. Although, again, as I've shown in my reviews, it, it often is an issue. It also overclocks better than a 3070, although the 3070 isn't horrible at overclocking in terms of like, it really does gain more performance for memory overclocking. So overclock to overclock, they're probably pretty close to the same, cost the same. One is more RAM. One is better ray tracing performance in DLSS. They're, they're pretty close. I don't know. It's it's like, what what would I recommend overall? I think it just depends on the person. For pure gamers, if it's below 500, I would typically lean a little towards the 6700 XT. But at the same time, if you do other things or there's a specific game, there's plenty of people who should get the 3070. That's really all there is to say, I think. Yeah, and it's more about the one you can get for a not ridiculous price because I, I guess I would say the 3070... Pro, uh, like you would probably say it should be sold for a higher price than the 6700 XT, but not a not an incredible. <laughs> it had the same amount of RAM, yeah. Otherwise, it's kind of like in this no man's land of what I think. But yeah, yeah, it, it's not in. It's not a ton better in performance. I do like how people are like, was it more of a 3060 Ti or more of a 3070? And it's kind of smack dab in the middle. Uh, for most of and those cards are only like 10, 11% away from each other, anyways. Yeah, it's like, oh, at 150 frames, we're talking about, I mean, at with the 3070 being at 150 frames per second, the 3060 Ti is often at like 140, so less than 10% a lot of the time. It's like, we're, we are yeah. splitting hairs at a certain point by saying, is it more of this or this? I don't know. It's in between the two. And you can say it's more of one or the other, but it, it's pretty much smack dab in the middle. And in some things, you see a b bigger increase in performance with the 3070. So I guess it's closer to a 3060 Ti with 12 gigs of RAM and yeah, and no RTX. Well, it has RTX, and there are some games where it performs better. You just mean worse. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry. On average, RTX. worse. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Ike's writes in and says, in response to the mid-range GPU prices, I don't think the prices will go down even if another competitor enters the market. I think NVIDIA has permanently ruined the market, and unless several players enter, I doubt prices will ever go down to where they used to be a few years ago. Um, or I guess you'd say maybe four years ago. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, I don't know what else to say. I, I think, I, I, you know, I've been saying this to people too. It's just like, you know, I think we will get into better times than now in the future. I don't think we're going back to $350 mid-range, $300 mid-range cards and $400, $450 high-end. I think those days are basically gone. The 3070 is staying five. The, the, I should just say the 
X70 from NVIDIA is probably always going to be over 500. The 6700, the you know X700 XT from AMD is probably always going to be about 450 moving forward. Um, unless there is simultaneously a big mining crash because something happens with Ethereum somewhat unexpectedly at, with an Intel launch that's more aggressive than expected. If those happen at the same time, I think that might change things. But this doesn't change unless people paying extra for cards get burned hard Well, AMD and NVIDIA also kind of get burned hard. Everyone needs to get burned for this to change. Otherwise, there's no incentive to bring prices back down because clearly people will pay for it and NVIDIA and AMD are watching and they're like, oh, they'll pay for it. Yeah, and so I don't know. Ho- hopefully we fall back down to something like the mid-range being $400. I- I'm hoping for that, but I'm not... I wouldn't bet on that, and that's still worse than the, what the market used to be. But uh, yeah, I, I I don't think this is like one of the is a crazy prediction that maybe this is just what pricing is like for here on out for, a, at, at least, least for MSRP the future. Yeah, the at least what the MSRP is like it that's what it'll be for the foreseeable future. I don't think we're gonna see some crazy thing like the mid range goes up to seven hundred dollars next generation. But no. <laughs> no, I don't think so. And again, it's just like, you know, the best argument I could make for why prices are probably going to stay at least at, shall we say, Turing versus RDNA 1 pricing levels is that I just can't hear any good arguments for why they would go down again. It just sounds like people go, well, I think they will. And then it just, they say nothing besides that. And it just kind of sounds like you're hoping it will and not giving a good argument for why anything would cause that to happen again. Yeah. And, I, I, yeah, I, I don't see it going back down to the quote-unquote good old days. That's not going to happen. It, I mean, if somebody presents me with a reason why it might, I'd be happy to accept it. I want things to be cheaper than they are. I think I don't know why you wouldn't want things to be cheaper than they are as a consumer. That's always better for you, assuming the products stay the same quality. Yeah, I guess the only other thing I would say is we are talking foreseeable future. I have no idea what the market could be like in like five years. You know, that's a different discussion. Who knows what might change, what dynamics might make prices go up or down. But at least for now, it just seems like they're competitive with each other. But they've also both discovered at the same time that people will pay more. And unless Intel really does something and someone else enters the market or something disruptive happens, eh, it is what it is. Yeah. Um, Greeny writes in and says, I got 503 errors on AMD's website today trying to buy the 6700 XT. Not showing a serv- not a good showing for the servers being run by Epic Milan. I'm kidding, by the way. But I do want to congratulate the people who are lucky enough to get a 6700 XT without having to pony up to the scalper tax, which, yeah, I mean, in day one, the scalpers were going nuts with those things, and they were selling <laughs> for like 900 bucks or something uh, or more. Um, all I would say is... Um, what I saw on the disc, all I can do is say what I saw on the Discord uh, at Moore's Law is Dead. And we do have hundreds of people there, you know. And when the 3090 launched, no one got one, I think. I think maybe one person got a 3080. Uh, and some people got 3070s, 3060 Ti's in Big Navi when they launched, especially the 3060 Ti's. Outside of, but the, the 6700 XT, yeah, a handful of people did get them on launch day. So it does seem like they ship more to the U.S. Europe, of course, just gets it later. And I don't know why people keep being surprised by that. It's like it's always been true. <laughs> um, but you know, I guess what you can say is uh, uh, the most 
unsurprising thing happened. There was more demand than supply. But it does seem like more people got some than before. Although, again, it doesn't really, it's hard to tell by if you're looking at it. Yeah, it's impossible to tell because I, I don't know how much demand is <laughs> is than uh, supply. It's clearly a lot for everything. I don't think it's a huge, I don't think it's a super hot take to say, though, that a card that's way smaller than the 3090 would be released in higher supply. And I, I, oh, I think and you are higher too. Like it's like, by the way, just it's, it's lab. The 3090 and 3080 effectively didn't launch until November, if you ask me. Yeah. And I, I, I don't know. It, it's good to see that it's some people in your discord got it because there, I mean, I don't know. There could be some sampling that error there or whatever, but that does say that it was a little. Well, I'm better. only comparing it against other times in the Discord, is what I would say, right? Because yeah. I'm not going to compare it to anything else. Because obviously, these people are trying far harder than the average person. These are enthusiasts for the most part in the Discord. Yeah, that's true. All right, let us get to story number two: AMD third gen Epic Milan review, a peak versus per-core performance balance. And this comes from Anantech. I'm going to quote some sections of it. The arrival of AMD's third-generation Epic processor family using the new Zen 3 core has been hotly anticipated. The promise of a new processor core microarchitecture, updates to the connectivity, and new security options while still retaining platform compatibility are a good measure of an enterprise platform update. But the one true metric is platform performance. Zen Zen 3 score ultimately per core performance leadership in the consumer market back in November rose expectations for a similar slam dunk in the enterprise market. And today, we get to see those results. The top processor from AMD is the Epic 7763, a 64-core processor at 280-watt TDP, offering 2.45 gigahertz base and 3.5 gigahertz boost. AMD claims that this processor offers plus 106% performance in industry benchmarks compared to Intel's best two uh, socket 28-core processors, the Gold 6258R, and plus 17% over its previous generation 28-watt version, the 7H12. From a competitive standpoint, Milan continues to strengthen and maintain a very stark one-sided performance advantage against its biggest competitor, Intel. Rome had already offered more raw socket performance than the best Intel had to offer at the time, and the gap is currently quite large as Intel has not updated in that time. Intel has stated that its ice-like Xeon SP family will come sometime soon. However, unless Intel manages to close the core count gap, AMD looks to be in a good shape. Meanwhile, as AMD is focused on Intel, the ARM competition has also entered the market with force through 2020, and designs such as the Ampere Ultra are able to outperform the new top Milan SKUs in many throughput-bound workloads. And we still have very clear advantages, though, such as much superior memory performance through huge caches or vast superior per-thread performance with specialized, dedicated SKUs. Still, it leaves AMD in a spot as they can't claim to be the outright performance leader under every scenario and others, and offers another generational target to consider as it develops future cores. AMD sets its own bars quite high with Milan, by aggressively emphasizing its performance gains in the middle of the product stack, the general enterprise market will look on these parts very favorably, in Anantech's opinion. There's always room for improvement, but if AMD equips themselves with good I.O. updates next generation, Epic could stand to gain better than generational performance gains again in the future. But as it stands, the product itself with Milan is a very solid offering in light of the competition or lack thereof. So... That's what there is. I'll be honest, too. I kind of forgot about this launch covering everything else. But I so we really did have to cover it in this broken silicon. I don't know. Did you look at these benchmarks at all, Dan? 
I looked at, yeah, I looked into them a little bit. I, I think the big takeaway is um, AMD's car, uh, new CPUs are pretty much, it, for servers, are pretty much universally dominant over Intel's current offerings, which isn't a surprise. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that includes multi-threaded and single-threaded tasks. The one bit, the one thing I'll say is there is a new competitor, the uh, the Ampere Ultra, which I looked into a little bit, where they're in some multi-threaded performance, they're not thrashing AMD, but they're beating them pretty heavily. And like low single digit, or are they like 30, 40%? Uh, 30% in some tasks. Okay. It, it's well, pretty, that's a win. It's pretty isolated and it's only an arm though. So that because Ampere doesn't have a uh it doesn't X86. have an x86 contract, but I, I looked into that company a little bit. They sell literally one product right now, I think. So, <laughs> so this is they, they sell one product specialized in doing that one thing as of right now. Yeah. So that, but that is something for AMD to try to conquer next. And of course, we have rumors of Zen Four. We've had those rumors for like over a year of Zen Four being at least ninety six cores. And so, yeah, if they increase. Uh, you know, IPC by a similar amount as we should expect with a Zen number increase. And then, you know, they add 50% more cores. Yeah, if it comes out in under a year, they could just dominate everyone at everything. AMD could almost get there. or And I'm sure there will be other cases where they lose. I know someone's going to yell, well, there's this one. It's like, okay, I know, I know. But they'll pretty yeah. much be complete, almost complete leadership at that point. And then the other big thing they called out was, was um, it, with some... Uh, CPUs in the product stacked, it seemed like uh, there was a regression in performance per watt because they idle at higher temperatures now. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. Maybe that needs to be called out too, or somebody will say this was a biased uh, outlook on the new Epic chips. But there's not much to say. AMD, is, especially when compared to Intel, is the best option in new servers. Like, whether they need to keep and uh, server needs to keep using Intel just because of for legacy reasons, that seems to be the only reason to buy them at this point. Yeah, and you know, just those legacy contracts and you know, yeah. legacy like uh, um, what do I want to say? App reasons. I mean, I, I'd say th- it can't be understated how big of a deal it is that Zen Three brought this level of an IPC, and then in addition to slight clock speed increases at the same time. Like this was what Intel had, and a lot of licenses are per core. So as long as Intel still kind of had per core, even parity, there was, mm-hmm. I mean, and you look at the memory controllers, Intel still had, you know, uh, about as many channels, or I think as many, if not more channels than AMD, depending on the platform. So it's like, well, same memory bandwidth, same per core performance, the licenses per core, and they have, you know, there were reasons people were sticking with Intel, just so everyone's aware. But AMD was just winning in a per core basis this is this is the devastation event pretty much and i'm of course uh, we you know Moore's Law is dead uh leaked that proof of 40 core ice lake uh last week in the uh that intel video you know amd should worry video um and so that's out there intel does have a 40 core ice lake coming i don't see it as being completely ubiquitous though i don't i don't think we're sh- we should be so sure it'll be niche but it's i think it's gonna be lower volume and a stopgap to sapphire rapids and 40 cores is not 64 but it, it could it should just about close the per core i think performance with ice lake ipc Pro- it'd still probably be a little behind though so i don't know i would still just point out though 40 core ice lake versus 64 core zen 3 is a better situation than 28 core cascade lake 
versus 64 Rome. So I don't know if you could necessarily call it Intel catching up, but maybe a better situation for some customers soon if they can get Ice Lake out in a couple months. Yeah, and I don't know. Of course, you need to mention that these are also, they're comparing older Intel chips to the newer ones. So yeah, obviously when Intel comes out with their 40-core Ice Lake, there's probably going to be... uh, (laughs) There's probably the market will probably be a little bit more uh, equal than it is right now, and yeah. I don't know. Purchasing decisions for what you buy in a server are a lot more complex than <laughs> what you bu- why you uh, choose to put your CPU in uh, your personal system. So the same uh, calculus doesn't go into building a server, obviously. Yeah, like superscalers like Amazon, they'll take as many cores as you can give them, based on what I'm told. I mean. Theoretically, there's probably a core count where they'd say, well, maybe we don't technically need more than that per socket right now. But assuming you can scale bandwidth, uh, they'll they'll pretty much take as many cores as you can give them. <laughs> um, but that's not the whole market. And there are a decent amount of people that I've talked to recently that are like, you know, 32 cores is enough. 48 cores is enough. We'd really rather have 48 core systems. So if Intel can get to like 56 cores at Sapphire Rapids, again, they'll make up some ground that they've lost to AMD potentially, in terms of what people actually need in their configurations, even if mm-hmm. AMD's at 96 cores. Although, again, if AMD keeps the IPC lead, it doesn't really help. I mean, yeah. <laughs> and so, there's... Sapphire Rapids better win that, which it could. I don't know. Well, and I don't know. I hope for Intel's sake that they, they do. <laughs> hey, competition is good. Timo writes in and says, thinking how tech events like announcements, keynotes, are like a Super Bowl of tech people enthusiasts, Carnival and celebration. People gathering here in the Discord in a similar fashion when we at specific time points. How do you in the US, Canada, or North America people keep up with managing time zones and calendar times? Contingent is wide in this way to include such a big variety that it must be a chore, especially in this internet time of video streams from other continents like Europe. It's difficult to know what time each event happens. Well, yeah, I just brought up this reader mail because, yeah, I mean, we were. It, we 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 completely lost track of the Zen 3 launch next to being sandwiched between the 3060 and 6700 <laughs> XT launch. Technically, we're supposed to be a gaming hardware podcast. So I didn't feel bad about it, but yeah, it is it is it is hard, Timo. I mean, it's uh, is what what time zone are you? Kansas? No, 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 Central Time. Apparently, Nashville still Central Time as well. By the way, is Kansas? I think Kansas is Central Time, isn't it? I, that might be Mountain. Uh, yes. No, I think it's Central. Yeah. And it's also important to remember. So I guess, yeah, I guess the same time zone, but you got the state wrong. And it's also important to remember, I don't know, there's, what, five time zones in the U.S.? And if tech-related stuff, pretty much everything comes out of California. So it's usually uh, Pacific time that you have to keep track of with tech news, at least, uh, in the U.S. I guess For the most part, yeah. I guess the Eastern is kind of considered the, like, standard time zone in the U.S. because that's where all the... That's where most of the business hubs are. So there's some stuff based around Eastern, but I don't know. It's not that hard in my opinion. Uh, I mean, keeping track of all of that and trying to go to watch a bunch of events live, that can be difficult, but that's just because everything happens all over the world now. So sometimes there's a thing in Germany or Japan or something too. Yeah, like there used to be a lot of like Tokyo events for game shows and it'd just be like, yeah, I'm not watching it live. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah, I've accepted that I'm not going to watch every event live, too. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, the, the hardest part is really scheduling live streams uh, for Moore's Law is Dead. And I usually lean towards uh, like 4 or 5 p.m. Central time because then it's like after both Central and definitely Eastern people are off work most of the time. And then also Pacific Standard Time people are hopefully about to get off work so they can catch the end of it. And then that would also be, I know people in Europe complain, oh, it's late at night here. It's like, yeah, but it's late at night for you. And in America, people just got off work. That's the best I can do. I believe that's also about 10, about lunchtime in Australia. So that's, and then we have a decent amount of fans there. So that's usually why live streams are around 4 or 5 p.m. now. Well, it's impossible. It is impossible to have a perfect yeah. time. When, like, and every YouTube audience has this, that that's an appreciable size is you're going to have fans pretty much if you're based in the U.S., in the U.S., Europe, and Australia. So that's... Setting an ideal time zone between what, like 16 hours or something? That's not really possible. Yeah, it's, it's, we do our best. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Let's just admit it. Nobody wants to pay full price for those Windows 10 professional keys. But shopping for deals on eBay can be a risky process that wastes your time, which is why you should simply just go to cdkoffers.com. cdkoffers.com offers an assortment of Windows software products, Steam games, Origin games, Uplay games, and even games on Xbox and PlayStation. Help out Moore's Laws Dead and save yourself some money by using offer code BROKENSILICON for 25% off all Windows software and DieShrink for 3% off everything on the website. Use CDK offers today. All right, let us move on to story number three. Moore's Law Zed and Nerd Tech disclose AMD's DLS competitor is not on the horizon. And this is also following up a direct confirmation from Scott Herkelman that AMD will have a DLSS competitor this year. So I'll do my write-up, and then I have a few things to talk about on this. So while AMD has confirmed its DLSS competitor is planned for this year, and seemingly not a rush product lacking its own advantages, it indeed seems it isn't coming anytime soon. Both NerdTech and Moore's Law is Dead confirmed via Twitter that when Scott Herkelman says 2021 launch, he is unlikely to be talking about anything in the first half of this year, and certainly not in the next month. So did you watch any of that? Uh, original release, you know, I think all he did is, and I think already um, uh, Linus Tech Tips was already told about this, and he disclosed that in one of his videos recently before this, but right, right, that's all there is to it, right, Dan, in the official story, right? Scott Urkelman said it's coming this year. That, and based on his phrasing, I would say it further confirms that it's not on the horizon. Like, What, What was his phrasing? I didn't catch it. Well, him saying stuff like, well, we ha- we're testing multiple solutions right now. Oh, so yeah, me, so they're not even... So to me, it sounds like they... Uh, what's the feature even called? I don't think it matters, because I don't think... Variable rate shading? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, no, the, no, no, the overall uh, thing, super resolution? Yeah, super resolution. So I feel like super resolution was just a marketing term that they've inserted in there to an extent, because they knew they could figure out some solution before... That technically uh, incorporates that. Before RDNA 3 comes out, yeah. Yeah, I mean, whatever it is, the good news is, as far as I can tell, this isn't like, oh, it's a sharpening filter to compete with DLSS and we'll improve it over time. It's like, no, they're really looking into a fundamental thing. 
to compete with DLSS that they hope is overall better in multiple ways. And in fact, they talked about how they want to work with developers that program on consoles to just start putting it in games on the PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series X, which is interesting because in many ways, I feel like the Xbox Series X and PlayStation 5 often has found their own similar-ish solutions of you know messing with resolution while not you know, well, not really technically running full resolution while, you know, giving a performance boost. I feel like they've already kind of been doing that with like checkerboarding and their own versions of dynamic resolution and stuff. But I don't know. It, it is interesting to hear that. And so I think it it sounds like they're not taking this lightly. But I mean, guys, you know, like I said on Twitter and nerd, you know, I, I replied to a nerd tech saying it's not coming anytime soon. And I was like, yeah, everyone keeps asking me when it's coming out. And I have brought it up and there have been a couple of sources that have said some things about it. And it's just, dude, there's nothing. It's not coming soon. Like it really <laughs> isn't. If you buy, I, I mean, I think someone said it. Uh, I don't remember if it was one of my sources or someone on Twitter or whatever, but they said, look, if you're buying an RDNA 2 card, assume it doesn't come with it. It may have been nerd tech. I honestly don't remember and I'm getting tired. Yeah, I, and that's definitely what I would say is like if it's not coming out until the end of 2021, and that probably means that uh, it's going to be more of a 20, I mean, of an RDNA 3 feature that might barely get a launch on RDNA 2. I mean, and it's good they have a competitor and I'm glad they're, to a DLSS, and I'm glad they're taking it seriously than just uh, going with some sharpening filter that's like, I, I don't know, that's some percentage as good as DLSS. But it, it might just not really be a real feature with uh, RDNA 2. You know, kind of just like how DLSS wasn't really a feature with uh, <laughs> with Turing. But, you know, they need to catch up to DLSS at some, po- SS at some point if they want uh, if they want to keep stay competitive with NVIDIA because even if you're getting this way better performance overall or getting equal performance to uh, NVIDIA cards with AMD, if NVIDIA has all these features that they can boast about, then they still have a better reason to sell to buy their card. Again, yeah, as we keep talking about, like the same way I say, well, I think you need to take the CPU overhead problem NVIDIA has seriously because of how competitive AMD is now. The same goes for DLSS. I mean, it's like, I don't know, they're going to end at Mountain Blade Bannerlord. I play that game hundreds of hours. So, yeah, sure. You know, like that's a real feature then for me when these cards perform so close to each other. Um, I get, I, and you know, AMD's got to be looking at how DLSS launched with horrible reviews and getting panned and made fun of. And they're like, we're coming out so late. It'd be better if it was like six months later. Like, it'd be better if it didn't come out early 2021 and it came out late 2021, but it worked excellently right out of the gate with tons of support after they saw, because the, I mean, you might as well just get it right. Um, when you bring it out, if you're, you're already late, so it might as well just be really good. Well, yeah, you're already late. And, I feel like we we saw this with DLSS, where I feel like even as DLSS over time becomes a more real feature, it's still kind of uh, pained by the fact that it came out as a blurring filter in three games. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that boasted, I guess, better performance, but it's because it it had better performance because it was noticeably reducing image quality. So great, why I could have just turned down resolution if that's what you were going to do. <laughs> Yeah, and yeah. Might as well, AMD does not want to do that if they're coming out later. I mean, if that happened, it'd be catastrophic. Yeah, might as well release with an actual uh, feature uh, and learn from the mistakes that your competitor made. All right, 
let us move on to story number four. This is actually the final main story since it's a shorter episode. More RTX 3070 Ti rumors emerge, and I'm quoting from video cards. We have received information on an RTX 3070 Ti. There's been no update for this SKU for the past two weeks, so we're just sharing the latest info we have. The IB source we talked to said that it would be GA104400, indicating the card would offer the full 6144 CUDA cores, just as many as the RTX 3080 Mobile. Of course, I believe that's also A4000, by the way. Uh, what might be mm -hmm. interesting is that the card would allegedly feature 8 gigabytes of GDR6X. This would suggest that GA104 GPU does have a GDR6 uh, memory controller support after all, and the current launch schedule indicates that the model could launch by the end of May. So, yeah, I'm just throwing this out there. This is obviously just like we keep talking about 3080 Ti and 3070 Ti and all these other rumors. It's like, it, this has been rumored forever, and this was one of the configurations talked about. It's just, when you see a 12 gigabyte 3080 Ti rumor, and from my understanding, it is most likely 12 gigabytes. You know, that's that's what I covered last Broken Silicon with you. There was, you know, fire to that smoke of a 12 gigabyte 3080 Ti coming in a month or so, or at least paper launching in a month or so. Mm -hmm. If they're going with 12 gigabytes, then they're definitely going to go with 8 gigabytes on the 3070 Ti, and NVIDIA's just going to accept that. Most of their lineup has a silly amount of RAM. I have to say, though, it, like, that decision just makes the 3060 12 gigabyte feel even more weird to me. Like, I almost do feel like they should have just gone with, like, a $300 6 gigabyte 3060 so their lineup looks more uniform. I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I just don't understand, like, what they're thinking. Yeah, I don't know. I I, I and, and uh, I feel like having the 3070 Ti have 12 gigabytes and almost just, well, then you need a new memory controller and everything, I guess. But... <laughs> I guess the 3070 Ti, I would prefer if it were also 12 gigabytes and they kind of just discontinue the 3080 almost because mm. I, I, I just don't know mm. where. I don't know. <laughs> I know. I, I was going to say, like, um, I don't really understand what the 3070 Ti will be priced at. So if it has GDR6X, I already demonstrated in my 3070 review that the 3070 gains easily 10% performance almost by overclocking the memory that much. So. Yeah, I mean, with like 20, 25% faster memory, I think. And then, you know, a slight bump to the core. I think this will easily be 15% better. I mean, I think this will effectively come very close to a 6800, but then it has half the VRAM capacity. So it's like, do you price it at 550? I don't understand. It has half the RAM of the 6800. Or are they going to do something like actually make it cost the same price with half the memory, but say it's, you know, well, too bad. It's the same performance. I don't know. Yeah, I guess I really don't know what they'll do because I don't think it'll be, like, just looking at what this proposed configuration is, I don't know even know how much stronger it will be than the 3070. It only has two more SMs, so that's not a ton. I mean, it can only have two more SMs if it's based on GA104. And yeah, it is, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know how much more performance you'll get out of that 6X, uh, GDR6X. It's it, it's going to be more than a, the GDR6, but how much more, I don't know. Like 10% 10, 10 better? I don't know. I think they'll get, I think they could get 20%. All right. And if they do, it'll basically be a, a, a 6800 with half the memory. Yeah. So I don't know what you price that at. I guess 550. Yeah. 
The, the the one thing you'd almost wonder is like, are they considering launching this for like five twenty nine MSRP, which means nothing right now, and then price dropping the meaningless MSRP of the thirty seventy to four fifty? Like, is that what they're considering to combat the sixty seven hundred XT? I don't know. That just seems weird to me. I don't. Uh, if, if I know they, their yields on GA one hundred four are very good, so it would make sense why they may want to make a souped up version. But again, it's like God. If it just had twelve gigabytes somehow, it'd be way better. Oh, and obviously it would be way better. Yeah, I, if the if they dropped the thirty seventy to uh, four fifty though, which I know you're just saying. I guess which is what I think that. it should cost at most with eight gigabytes. I, it's. I mean, adding more performance to this, it's it's. There are multiple games where it was handicapped with eight gigabytes. I mean, I, I in my thirty seventy review, the conclusion I came to is like, man, if this just was like twenty percent, if they just overclocked this by like fifteen percent and gave it sixteen gigabytes because of its superior ray tracing performance and kind of Ampere's ability to or Ampere's inclination to perform a little better relative to RDNA two and four K versus fourteen forty p, they would have almost had a sixty eight hundred sixteen gigabyte if they just pushed it farther. But without the sixteen gigabytes, I'm like, all right, I guess it's stronger. But I'm telling you, I have multiple games that are handicapped by eight gigabytes of VRAM, even in fourteen forty p, even in games that are a couple years old. Not all of them, maybe not most, but multiple. And that's just a major factor when you're spending this much on a card when AMD's offering is 16 gigabytes. Yeah, I know. Um, so the 30, the 3070 Ti and uh, to an extent the 3080 Ti, I just don't know what they price it at. The 30 Ti, I guess, is a lot easier because they have... Well, either you have seven, enough RAM or you don't though, right? And I do yeah. think 12 gigabytes is enough. It's not more than enough, but it's enough. Yeah, so that I guess I could see them doing. I don't know. That will probably be a thousand dollars. I guess. Oh yeah, and it's going to be. <laughs> and, and then I guess what the thirty seventy Ti will. I, I guess I somewhere between five thirty and five fifty. I guess is the only thing that makes sense because they're not going to try to sell that for six hundred, are they? I don't know. Uh, with just sixteen, with just eight gigabytes, I I don't know. I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's the last story. I think we should move on to the wrap up. All right, let me see what stories we have here. So, of course, this is the stories that we didn't think were big enough to be major stories, but we wanted to touch on. Um, I mean, I, 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 I have one link here. I don't know how much we need to dwell on it, but I mean, all of NVIDIA's mining locks are bypassed in multiple ways. There's drivers that have removed the the lock on the 3060. The T-Rex miners seem to work with some cards if it was plugged into a monitor. Uh, there's a bunch of ways to bypass it. NVIDIA's <laughs> supposedly you know, ironclad mining limiter. I, I don't even understand. They're just making this harder for gamers. It's stupid. Well, it's also awesome that they're sex cordoning off uh, mining uh, cards now. So now the 3060 is cracked. I don't know how much GA uh, of GA 106 they're planning on sending to those CMP miners, but now now gamers are double screwed because there's the CMP cards that aren't useful for gaming, but there's also fewer GA 106 dies because now they're going to that. And yeah, and again, if they would just produce extra cards for gamers, you could at least hope some gamers got a hold of them instead of miners. But the second you make it only able to mine, it's like, all right, I guess that's just some of the capacity not going to gamers ever. Yep, and now they cracked it in T-Rex Miner, which everyone knew that they were going to crack which is it. Which what because, I use. 
Yeah, because there's <laughs> a massive profit incentive for them to crack it. So it doesn't matter how ironclad they say they're hacking algorithm. I mean, their software is they figured out a way to bypass your bullshit handshake. Yeah. Um, also, there's rumors from Copite of an A100 mining card, although I feel like some of the articles talking about this are acting like it's more confirmed than it actually is. It doesn't seem that confirmed to me from the tweets I saw. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Do, do you see this? I mean, I don't know. I, <laughs> they could go ahead and make one if they wanted to. Couldn't miners also well, look, just <laughs> buy stuff that has A100s in them? Yeah, but they're really expensive. I wonder if they just take bad yields of A100. And I wonder what those would mine at. With What is it? I forgot how much, how many gigabytes it has. Like 40 gigabytes of HBM2E or something? Something like that, uh, yeah. I mean, uh, it has a massive bus. So, I mean, with that in mind, I could... <laughs> I'm trying to think of like what it would mine at. I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it could hit 200 mega hash. <laughs> and if, I, if I, they that can, and me. if miner right, and if miners are willing to spend, think about it, like fifteen hundred, two thousand, three thousand dollars on a thirty ninety for mining, I bet they'd certainly pay <laughs> five grand or more for a mining a uh, a one hundred. So I mean, it uh, makes sense why Nvidia would do this, especially when some of these are businesses with multi million dollar budgets or <laughs> billion. Yeah. Well, budgets probably. But yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they wouldn't, if they would love having a few A100s mining. So I think there's, there is a space for an A100 mining card. I don't know if NVIDIA thinks it's worth it or not. That's the real question. Yeah, I'm sure. I I guess it's not crazy they'd be considering it, even if we're not sure if it happens. All right, we also have PSVR controllers. I really don't have much to say about this. They're pretty typical looking. I think the most interesting thing about Sony's PSVR controllers for the PSVR 2, which isn't even coming out for like a year or more, is that uh, I think it has touch-sensitive, like basically malleable buttons on the sides of the controller or something somewhere there. That was interesting. Yeah, or I don't know exactly what it was. I mean, I think we'll get more into this uh, as they actually show it off more. It looks like, yeah, they're going to be trying to employ some type of vir- uh, virtual button with it, with uh, PSVR, which with that haptic feedback, if it were specific enough, could just kind of feel like a real button, too. Yeah. I mean, I don't have a link here in Xbox News. There's also nonstop videos and benchmarks of backwards compatibility boost being cool, which I have nothing to add to that except it is cool and Sony should be taking this seriously and I just see it as laziness, not as a capability problem. Um, especially uh, especially when you have a, I would say, a more storied library than uh, Xbox does. Like, they have so many games that if they, if they made every game <laughs> backwards compatible, Sony would have just a massive catalog of games on the PS5 that aren't available anywhere else. Yeah, and when I and then I also have the an Xbox news like again another dev just like 4A games has gone on the record saying that they're worried about 
running some games on the Series S long term. Remedy is saying the same thing, or at the very least, um, that like a lot of their games are really hard to configure because you know, like the Series X and PS5 are so much stronger than last gen that they can take a last gen game, do some optimizations, and then crank up settings. That the Series S, because it's so different and yet not really stronger than a Xbox One X, honestly. Um, I mean, it, obviously, it's CPU is way better, but like, yeah, you should look at some benchmarks. There are some games where it doesn't necessarily win at everything. Um, it, that they're having real problems fitting some games on it. I don't know. I'm just pointing that out because, again, I, I think there are some fanboys just constantly talking about how this is some kind of you know cheap 1440p 120 hertz console. It's like, no, guys, this this really is like a long term a 1080p. 60 at best, maybe even 720, like dynamic resolution, like 900p console, 720p console. Yeah, I, I, all I have to say is I think the the marketing that this was a 1440p console was I- insane. It, it was obviously never going to be like just looking at just, just looking at the specs. It was never going to be. <laughs> Moving on to Navi 22 uh, mobile. So I don't, I'm just bringing this up because, you know, this was something I think any, uh, we got multiple reader mails. Like, when's, when's AMD going to make mobile RDNA 2 cards? They're more efficient. What the heck's going on? I think the answer always was, well, they'll definitely do Navi 22, but no evidence on Navi 21. Uh, well, now official rumors are coming out about a mobile Navi 22, and it could compete with the 3080M, or I, that's what I want to call it, but 3080 laptop edition, shall we say, <laughs> which makes sense. The 6700 XT competes kind of with the 3070 and 3060 Ti. Those are GA104. The 3080 laptop edition is GA104 based. It would not surprise me if they min-max some of these 6700 XT dies to be able to compete it under to compete with underclocked uh basically GA one oh four is very well. Yeah, and I I don't know how much I have to say to that other than I um if they do deliver that degree of performance, I guess I personally wasn't expecting them to come with that this year, but I don't know. I hope they do. I would recommend that article too from video cards. They have a pretty good chart that organizes the many TDPs uh of GA 104 and 106 into like their performance brackets roughly and I'm like oh there's a useful comparison of how AMD can compete um, <laughs> 30 power configurations on uh, yeah, ampere yeah, of, of ampere mobile yeah <laughs> um and then you know I mean there's another massive intel vulnerability links in the description actually I heard this one could be catastrophically bad I, I I'm too tired too busy having a time to look into it just another FYI DRAM prices going up and I don't know Video cards put out a leak that was my exact headline pretty much for my Alder Lake IPC and multi-threading performance leak from a month ago. Nice. Did it have the cool exclusive? Yes, it did. It, Good. Yeah, whatever <laughs> exclusive means. I mean, I've almost put exclusive in titles recently and I just keep going, no, I can't be sure someone else hasn't talked about this. The, see, the problem with putting exclusive, I feel in the title of an article or video is I feel like you're assuming all of it's exclusive. To say exclusive in this in this space, you need to do your due diligence. Okay, has anybody said that before? Like once again, with politics leaking, like you know, like if you have a <laughs> you know the person you're talking to, this is the first person they've talked to generally with journalists. It's just it's different here, and don't call something an exclusive unless you know it. And I feel like that's the whole point that that's usually that's being made here is all of the video cards constantly calling exclusive information. I mean, information exclusive 
when you or some other YouTuber has talked about it in the past. <laughs> and I mean, just, especially when it comes to things like Alder Lake and Sapphire Rapids, which I've covered dozens of times before most of their exclusive stuff. It's just, it's honestly not something I'm mad about. And obviously they shared the slides I didn't want to share. Like I had those slides months ago, but like I don't see the point in sharing slides when it can only hurt my sources if I get them first. Because you're never quite sure how many people have access to slides or physical objects. And like when you send a picture, it's like, oh, that could only be two people who leaked that. Um, But And frankly, what was on the slides was almost nothing new. Like, I mean, like we've known DDR5 and all these other things, and I covered that in the video. But uh, I mean, so I guess what I'm saying too is when I, I did tweet that, I basically tweeted just to promote that I got things right a month ago before he covered it. <laughs> um, if you'll notice, I didn't say I wasn't actually attacking him at all. It's just really self promotion. So I will say yeah. that don't attack anyone. Like we don't know if he saw my video. My point isn't that he stole anything. I, I'm not. I don't think he did. I'm just saying it's like. Well, there it is again. I keep getting <laughs> stuff by him, and I covered this before him. Clearly, my information's good, dude. Maybe just cover some of it but you know it's not like he owes you anything so it's just like i don't know just putting it out there again it really seems like all the alder lake stuff that we've been leaking dan is 100 percent accurate yeah which is to say alder lake could compete with zen 3 decently which is exciting yeah all right let us get to the final reader mails for this episode Tariah writes in and says, Hi, Tom, and I guess hi to Daniel Nenny. And your RX 6498 gigabyte on 12 nanometer video, uh, Will AMD release the GPU we need? You are talking about lead times of about a year. But usually what I'm hearing, though I have no actual context in the PC hardware silicon space, to be fair, are lead times more in the line of three years for scientific detectors and stuff. And sorry for your driving. Didn't see them. Oh, yeah, he tried to ask me this while I was driving. I just said, put it in reader mail. Um, (laughs) Do you or your contacts have some insights into what the shortest feasible lead time would be to port an existing design to a different process? Right. So that's why I say like a year. He says, thanks for your awesome content. Yeah, thank you. So when I say a year, I'm not saying that's what most things take to make. I'm saying, and I've talked to Daniel Nenny about this multiple times, if you move heaven and earth, you can make something in a year, right? And that's about all there is to say. That's not to say that it's easy to do, and certainly not from a foreground of architecture that's new. (laughs) Now, if you're porting something or doing something, yeah, it can take a year, though. It can. You know, I think Maxwell took about a year to do. I think Cypress Cove was about a year. So it's, it's hard to do, though. And it's not something you do all the time. Obviously, I feel like porting would take less time than just coming up with a new architecture out of nowhere. Um, And I don't know. So many things are just constantly being developed in parallel. I imagine that contingencies are there or they know that they can probably develop something in a year if a new architecture doesn't work out. I don't know. Yeah. And... Um, Mia also writes in and says, really enjoyed the RX 6490 video, which again, if anyone's laments that this episode is not as long as a normal one, there's like a mini Daniel Nenny guest episode in the middle of my newest video. So <laughs> check that out. Um, but Mia goes on. I have a related question though. We're all assuming Global Foundry's 12 nanometer has extra capacity because we're used to the big players competing for the newest stuff on TSMC. Do we actually know that there is extra capacity though? 
Film the animator is still an amazing note for a lot of chips. I can think of a long list of players who'd be very interested in last-gen fabs. Um, what I would say is it's in demand, but probably not as much as TSMC. But no, we don't know that it's just sitting around with lots of availability. Remember, they use Global Foundries to make the I.O. dies. So it's not for a Zen chip. So it's not like they just have tons of capacity, which is well, something I point out in the video, I think, and I've pointed out at the very least in other broken silicons, that we should not just assume Global Foundries just has all of this space. And furthermore, there are substrate and power component uh, shortages going on right now that would also be affecting everyone. Well, yeah, and it's, I, I think I might have just talked to you about this, but seeing, I think I, I did see a couple weeks ago or something that like Global Foundries revenue is still increasing over time. And I believe, I think they might even be like building new fabs, although don't quote me on that last part. They're on Oh, they are. Okay. So they're, they're, oh, wait. TSMC or Global Foundries? Global Foundries. Oh, yeah. I, I believe they are, but uh, so, I guess so don't quote me, yeah. They're a financially successful and viable company. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, obviously, they don't just have a ton of unused capacity sitting there or they would be burning money. <laughs> now, is it in, as demand? Is it as expensive as TSMC? I don't think so. No. So that's kind not. of the proposal, right? <laughs> Um, but Daniel Nenny also points out, it's like, well, why can't AMD just go to the 12 nanometer at TSMC? I mean, yeah, that's also true. Because that is sitting there. And he did point out how TSMC's 10 nanometer just literally isn't being used, like pretty much the second Apple stopped using it. So there's little nodes like that that you would wonder if AMD should look into. Oh, I, I mean, I guess, are they, the question would be, are they retooling those facilities then? Are they, is there just. I would assume they probably are now, but. In the future, you have to assume there will be some nodes where like six nanometer, for example, if it becomes underutilized, where yeah. it's just like, we should design one of our dies there. Uh, that's, I mean, that's not a bad idea. Get some capacity for, I don't know, not your highest end node, but I mean, your highest end die, but I don't know, something there for like a 6490 type thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, again, you know, I don't know. Did you see that video yet, Dan? Uh, no, I haven't been able to watch that yet. But I think we talked about it pretty in depth. It was, yeah. it was a really fun one. Um, honestly, moving has like made me far more creative in the past week. I I, I think this is going to be, I think this is going to be good to get the juices flowing, some new scenery, you know. Yeah, that sounds good, brother. Yeah, brother. Some extra scratch, hopefully too. All right. Uh, my name is Nobody Writes, and it says, a while back, there were several times you brought up an idea I think would be interesting to revisit. Now, it was that a startup GPU company could come along. Buy up the tooling for older, for example, 20 nanometer dies uh, or uh, fabs and start turning out high power consumption mid-range cups for notably cheaper prices than the current mid-range offerings. I believe you discussed this mostly around the RDNA launch uh, Turing refresh time frame. Yeah, I did. When the mid-range was sitting around four to $500 and rumors of RDNA 2 Ampere were just starting to come out. Now those cards are basically out and mid-range carbs has effectively gone up a price band running 500 to 700 which is, yeah, I've concluded the 3070 is just a next-gen mid-range card. This is what you should expect for a $400 card, but they're selling for over $600. Uh, anyways, he continues, of course, much of these price increases is related to supply constraints, logistics, roadblocks, and tariffs that this theoretical new company would be subject to as well, to be fair. Entering the market now likely isn't possible. It, no, it's not. But could we see an even greater opportunity for such a company once supplies normalize? Uh, sorry if I misquoted anything you said. Uh, about this originally. I'm going off of memory instead of digging back through older episodes to find exactly what it was. No, I, I mean, to my memory, you're pretty much characterizing what I said exactly. The thing is, I believe 
I often emphasized back then, though, that I just couldn't see this happening in the short term anytime soon, that this would have to be something like years from now, especially if like we get stagnated at like three nanometer and three nanometer costs are crazy. That's when I think this would be like, you see the startup happen of like billions of dollars in funding and they're like, we're just going to do it, dude. We're going to buy up these old seven or eight nanometer fabs and make something because they're not getting a two nanometer for years and they're charging far too much anyway. So let's, let's go for it. But this is like a ton of work. You'd have yeah. to hire ex, you know, global foundries, Samsung, TSMC employees, which you probably could if you had enough funding to do so. But so it's just not something that can happen in the short term. Long term, stuff like this is bound to happen in any market that's overpriced. Well, yeah. And I mean, like looking at, um, I don't know, this was that CPU startup that's uh, com- uh, supposed to compete with uh, CP- uh, server CPUs that Ampere Computing, they ha- they started up three years ago. They based their architecture off of uh, some ARM architecture um, and adapted it for their purposes. And it took them three years to make uh, a product that's doing well. So, I mean, I, I feel like you're looking at the time frame of like three years to really be able to start up. And, at the quickest. At the quickest. To be able to develop like a new architecture and sell like a couple mid-range cards that are probably pretty high power consumption. On an older, on an older node. Now, if you can get the money to do that, that sounds like a great idea. There, and when <laughs> there's money to be made, it. you often can. Yeah, and there's a ton of really talented uh, engineers and business people that that are in Silicon Valley. That I'm <laughs> sure somebody, hopefully at least, is thinking of doing that. Although, I don't know. It also takes a long time to develop an architecture from scratch. Yeah, I believe five nanometer is almost increasing performance um, or price per wafer with the performance you get over seven. If three nanometers worse than that, if it literally gets to a point where it's like three nanometers, like, you know, 50% better than a five nanometer product, but then it costs twice as much. I think, and you know, that'd be like 2023. I think that's when you'll see an enterprising person before three nanometer comes out, see the writing on the wall and go, okay, we need five years to make this happen. Yeah, And that's near the end of this year where you'd see maybe a few years of this renaissance of like a new company just coming in and, well, TSMC stuck on three nanometer going, guess what? Here comes seven, eight nanometer chips. Yeah, they're crazy less efficient, but they're a hundred bucks in the same performance as what they're charging, you know. Five hundred dollars for, or yeah. probably not five hundred, but like two hundred, baby. Yeah. So I don't know. I guess we'll see. Although it probably wouldn't be on twenty nanometers anymore, like you said. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, Ike's writes in and says, "Please check out Java Minecraft shaders. It puts Minecraft RTX to shame, in my opinion." Yeah, with how often I brought up Minecraft RTX in recent reviews I've done, I might just have to do it as a test. Um, yeah, I think you should check it out whenever I have the time. <laughs> yeah, I guess Minecraft, uh, Java, I mean, Java Minecraft shaders aren't the top of your priority list, but yeah. but it's something to consider for sure. And then Dr. Deep writes in and says, my wife and I are looking for a good co-op game to play. Should we go for Deep Rock Galactic? Are you guys talking about it a lot? What's so good about it? I mean, it's just a really great, <laughs> it sounds so like plain to say it that way. It's a great co-op game. I mean, you have these roles that are well-defined. There's a lot of synergy between them. And it's like, it's really cool, this mining like dystopian future of like dwarves working for these almost Borderlands-esque corporate space companies where they don't really care if their employees die and they send you to mine on asteroids. And then giant bugs like Starship Troopers try to kill you. 
And then there's near the end, it's just like, all right, you have five minutes to get into the drop pod. You've secured the gold. And then you like try to escape and defend and there's a countdown and it's high tension and it's like super fun. And it's just really, really well thought out. There's little attentions to details like the hub world where you guys meet before you fight. That's It's really fun. Yeah, I mean, I... I don't know what, how to sell the game. It's uh, it, it's a game where you and a team work to, I, I guess, mine minerals for a company and you're attacked by space bugs. Uh, I mean, it's $20 on Steam, which I know it's on Games Pass, or at least it was. I think it still is. I will say the Steam version runs significantly better. Like less bugs, loads faster, better performance. Like significantly better. Yeah. And that if you want this, it's definitely worth buying to keep. And I guess as one way to market the game, it's not that hard to run. I think it's pretty, and it only takes up two gigabytes. So I, I actually think in a world of 500 gigabyte Call of Duty installs, a two gigabyte game is somewhat of a marketing point. That's because it's you know randomly generated, so it can make... And so every level you go into is a little different. And so it is fun, because like, when you play co-op with friends, you're just you're talking to them, having fun, drinking a beer with them usually while you play. So you just want more to do, and the fact that each level is a little different means you can just keep playing it with your friends, and there's tons of unlocks. Yeah, and, and that's, I, I guess, what I, the other thing I would add is there's a lot of uh, replay value in the game. Or since it's procedurally generated and the procedural generation is pretty good, uh, there's a lot to do, and they give you enough upgrades and crap to, <laughs> to keep uh, wanting to go and do another mission. So I don't know. I would yeah. check out gameplay quick and see if it it's worth it. I think it's a really good game, though. Yeah, no, it's great. Um, well, that's it, Dan. I mean, I think we, you know, it's probably a shorter episode than usual. Although compared to some guest episodes and other ones we've done in the past that were news episodes, I think there's a standard length for a podcast. So I think I would hope that people are you not entertained. <laughs> it's a bit shorter, but I, I I feel like I don't know. Podcasts always get longer over time, it feels like. Like just podcasts in general. If you look at the start and end of a podcast or later on into the podcast, they seem to always increase in length for some reason. So mm-hmm. we're, this episode is kind of just a normal old length episode. Pretty much. And I mean, I'd have to thank you again for doing this. You're incredibly busy. And basically your commitment to the channel is every other week and then some of the most of the die shrinks. And doing this again really does help me out, space out the guests. And um, again, having something, let's just be honest, it's easy for me and you to do this because we're so familiar with each other that we can just get running and rolling quickly. There's none of the worrying about, oh, is the mic going to be set up? Or it's just we're ready to hit the ground running. Um, And so, uh, I don't know, thanks to Dan. And I hope you guys are happy. I am exhausted. I got three hours of sleep driving into Nashville in the morning and looking at houses all day. A couple of them have really cool rooms for studios, guys. Um, I'm very excited. And uh, I will not be getting the house that just straight up is a pile of rust in the bottom with open holes to the outside. A raccoon could just walk in that house and go upstairs. Well, yeah, that's... that. Tom, you're thinking... And one did in another one, apparently. Tom, you're thinking (laughs) of it wrong. It's not that the house isn't finished. It just comes with a a little work to do. Like buying windows for the basement. I mean, it's like, this is, I mean, okay, guys. Okay, guy, whatever. I guess you just don't care. I mean, you know, to our European listeners, look at raccoons. They're like bear monkeys. They're crazy. One of them played with my dog a few times. They get huge, though. Like, it was enormous. It was bigger than my dog. It was gigantic. 
Although I, I, they are, they're very cute too, but. They're adorable. Yeah. My, my friend from college who was from Argentina had never seen a raccoon and she really wanted to approach it. If you're in, from Europe. Yeah. Or, I, I'm going to be honest. If you got close to one, I would actually say there's a chance it wouldn't attack you, especially in areas where it's used to being around people. But there's also a chance it would, and they are crazy filled with parasites and they are really strong and vicious if they want to be. I mean, there was one, let's say I had a raccoon problem before and there's, I, I looked this up because like a piece of metal hit its tooth and sparks shot out, not to go into the whole story. Although I think we may have on broken silicon um, before. Because yeah, that was what we were, yeah, I think we may have gone into that. I don't remember which episode it was. And like, then I just looked it up and it's like, yeah, they eat a lot of different materials and their body naturally deposits more metal than most animals do in the teeth so that they effectively have like a steel core to their teeth. And I'm like, what? They have steel teeth. This is Animals are wild, Dan. Dan, damn, there are bear monkeys walking around outside with steel teeth, but they're adorable. They're adorable, but don't pet them. Just appreciate them from the far. Yeah. Don't go near their poop. They can like seriously give you a brain parasite that, that kills you. Yeah. All right. On that note, I think that'll do it for this episode. I hope you all enjoyed. Remember that this is fan-supported. The reader mails come from patrons. For just $2 a month, you get to submit telegrams to guests like Daniel Nenny and all these other uh, the other great, huge guests we've got coming up soon. You can submit reader mail at the $4 level and then get early ad-free access to Broken Silicon Die Shrink, which is an always-will-be-exclusive podcast that comes out every other week. Free loose ends questions. I mean, we did a, a live stream exclusively for patrons recently for hitting the Patreon goal. There's tons of stuff out there, guys. If you listen to us, even 10% of you guys that listen every week supported us. We have a good old big boy studio. We wouldn't have to worry about looking at any of these houses that apparently have steel bear monkeys walking around in them. <laughs> Help us afford to not have to deal with steel bear monkeys, everybody. Please. All right. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Goodbye. The following podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website, Moore's Law is Dead. Moore's Law is Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. That guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Law is Dead podcast, videos, articles, and other media. However, Moore's Law is Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother, Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, and select technical editing by Carbon Cry. You can find all of our information, including how to get a hold of us, at www.moreslawsdead.com. And if you are a fan and would like to send mail or other hardware, please mail parcels to Moore's Laws Dead, P.O. Box 10468, Peoria, Illinois, 61612. And speaking of fans, without exaggeration, the patrons are responsible for the continued distribution of the content you just listened to. And so if you have some extra money, but only if you do, please consider supporting us. For just $2 a month, you get access to the exclusive podcast, Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to have your questions read aloud on Broken Silicon, Die Shrink, and Loose Ends, and of course, the Moore's Law is Dead Discord full of like-minded people who would love to meet you. I am one of them. And at higher tiers, you get access to ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the back catalog of Flyover States podcast, thanks in the credits of videos and podcasts and other perks as well. And if you cannot afford to support us, please just share Moore's Laws Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family on social media and Reddit. And give Broken Silicon and Flyover States a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. All of this really does help so much more than I think anyone realizes. 
If you'd like to advertise on the podcast or a person of interest who would like to be a guest, please reach out to the email address mlhbdead at gmail.com. But as I said, this podcast would not be possible without its fans supporting it. And so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher producer levels. Brad Medlin, Telos, GUK, Benny Berlin, Justin Yacht, Thomas Rupp, I love you, Lynn Jim, Kyvin K, Tom Bailey, Muhammad Al-Kawari, Frederick Cloud, James Crasser, Justin Paris, Zachary Martin, Terrence Harris, Rita Full, Phil S, Courtney Elliott, The Ninth Dude, Greg Renegar, Josh Law, JBG, Travis Gooding, The Mechanical Philosopher, Lebo King Kilo, Fatboy Deseru, Daniel Heidberg, Garcia, Tara Reed, Jack O'Neill, Matt Salem, Aaron Close, Juan Garcia, Sean Vollmer, My Name is Nobody, Joel Corey, Alethros, Telos, Hey There's a Kitty, Greg T. Wondrick, Ivan 214, John Jameson, Benjamin Cannon, Matthew Lane, Divider Symbol, Jan Rounder, Rubber Ducks, Michael Maggie, Allie Robertson, Eric Jackson, Jonathan, Patrick Grow, Evan Dingle, Dominique Cox, Stefan, Original Ross, Forum.com, Sam McArthur, Total Silo, Sol Connor, Michael Costa, Andrew S., Blake, Aaron Keith, Kerry Baldino, Endless Loggins, Tom San Filippo, Justice Brennan, Viking R., Trevor Powers, Stu, Alenia, Nanyan, Daniel Nishbal, Franco Frederick, Hardware Numbers, Alex Carasillo, Dark Rain 2049, Lane Perry, Joseph Kierman, Carlos Valdez, Carnivore Bear, Danovan Russell, Zabra Ziver, Licky, Matten Porsegi, David Cowden, Ricky Tan, Spencer King, Patrick J.S., Justin Staples, Freddie Canos Jr., Christopher Foster, Kiwi Phil, Dahoo Hoo, Sarah Light, Matt, Anthony Gareffa, Matthew Griffin, Alice, Joseph Loria, Lois Correa, Deke, Jeezy Raman, Raul Abeneni, Tim Robbins, Shake223, Ryan Riggleman, Chris Williams, Ryan Denescu, Dave McCoy, Valko Malev, Gabe Lagner, David Marcos Gomez, Morton Svensson, Andrew Thomas Summers, Maurice Courtois, Matthew J. Link, Scott Ref Schneider, My Sharona, Aaron, Roman, Jacob Stankiewicz, Hair Rats, Wakir Khan, Eshildar Epstein, Stefan Hart, Chris Frey Butler, Greg, Peter Moore, Chris Lakata, Justin Thomas, Sam Millet, Sammy Malas, Kevin Chen, Shakir, Nick Rakin, Holden Mobley, Matthew Lazier, Arpit Sharma, Meat and Pork, Jimmy NG, Mads Beachhorn, Benjamin Oshley, Jiu-Jitsu, Sean Park, Dane P, John Wizink, Sam Venzel, Mark Mitchell, Brucha, Michael Deaton, and of course, thank you to Sahara for the music. Mm-hmm.